Chief Technology Officer, and I'm the host for the FireEye Eye on Security podcast. We're doing a series uh, of podcasts on security predictions, and I'm pleased to be joined by Steve Booth, who's the Chief Information Security Officer here at FireEye. Steve, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Uh, Steve, I think you've got one of the toughest jobs in the world. You're tasked with defending, of all companies, a cybersecurity company. Like all cybersecurity companies, we get our fair share of attacks, so I know you've got a unique perspective. Um, with that, why don't we just start with a general question. What do you think the threat landscape will look like in 2018? So I'm sure there's going to be you know, yet another round of fun, new, interesting attacks. But I think the uglier ones are going to be what the current attacks are that get modified. So, for instance, having them come in through your employees. First it was phishing, then it was spear phishing. Now it's coming in through his LinkedIn account or attacking their personal email where, as a company, you couldn't even know you had to defend that email account. Right. Being able to get into to employees to cause damage, there's all kinds of new creative ways of doing that. We're working a thing right now that gets into uh, malicious publishing of applications where one employee one time clicks yes on their phone, and now you have a malicious app that can do similar assertions as them. Wow. Yeah. Um, the other side of it is like you know, we always live the sort of the hygiene side of things, and and that's important. But there's there's the, the world is, is more complex, and we all know this, and we all live this, but there's something like 800 different places you can set permissions or misset permissions in Amazon. Yeah. yeah. Right? Any one of those become a tax surface, and you kind of go, well, how would you know? Yeah, right. Right? Because um, you don't often have that, that same kind of native expertise that you have in the traditional on-prem IT world that everyone's learning. Yeah, or worse, you had somebody that never used to be involved in the actual configs of your web server, for example, that is now running your application in Amazon, and, yeah. and everybody goes like, oh, nobody's running the web server. Yeah. That's not yeah. true, right? Um, so the, the the sort of the changing dynamics, some of it is fantastic. Some of it really is, right? Yeah. Um, like not having to, to patch the underlying OS, that's awesome, yeah. right? But people are generally taking that as a savings as opposed to saying, take that effort and put it elsewhere. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That first point you make is interesting about um, attacks kind of being chained or used together. It seems like we're seeing, I don't know if it's more, but we've, we've, we've observed it a lot more lately, kind of chaining of different, like, different groups using different techniques from other groups, basically right. borrowing, you know, borrowing and stealing the best, best yeah. techniques that are out there. Yeah, and sometimes they'll, they'll even just buy the technology. So yeah. uh, either they're learning from, from the skills off of reading what the, the breach reports were, or yeah. you know they're just saying, screw it, I'll buy some commercially available piece of malware and go after it. So on that point, what kind of nation-state activity do you think we'll see in 2018? So that one's fascinating. The, the nation-state activity that we, got, um, that we see or that we see our customers coming up against, um, they're, not, they're not just sticking to traditional espionage. So um, there's a chunk of the APT groups that we have out there where literally they have to fund their country's government, right? Yeah. So that's part of it. Um, you've got the, the ones where they're getting into things that are not just trying to steal military technology. The good news is like the President Z Obama agreement, that, yeah. that one toned down with, it, with Chinese but did not go away. Yeah. Um, but you, like you get into, into like the nation state getting into, for instance, supply chain risk. Right, so when the Russians go after the Ukrainians through a piece of software, you have to have to pay your taxes. Yeah, right. Like imagine if the Russian government came in through TurboTax. Yeah, right? I mean, like, like all of a sudden it would it would be a, a way different situation, right? Um, huh. The other part of it that, that ends up being interesting to me is that there's no norms for this. There's no rules of engagement. Yeah. So if the Russians were to take a bunch of soldiers and go into a Ukrainian bank and steal money, that would be an act of war. Right. 
but if they do it with computers, it's not. And yeah, you go like, okay, wait a minute, is it not, or is it just not yet been declared that? Well, it, it's an interesting point. For a long time, we've talked about norms in uh, norms in cyberspace, if you will, and we talked about it a lot when it was intellectual property theft. I think now that so many attacks are, are going to be destructive, and our you know nation state backed uh, in some cases, um, it, it is a different ballgame. And the it's norms destructive or manipulative. Yeah. Right, so it's not even just I want to blow it up or I want to steal it. I may just want to change it. I may just want to embarrass you. I may want to have you have trouble getting that deal, even though I'm not going to try to take that deal. Yeah. Right. I may just want to hurt you financially to weaken you, without necessarily meaning I'm going to steal from you. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's sort of fascinating. Do you think it changes? It, are there any industries in 2018 that need to be on high alert that maybe haven't in the past? <laughs> I think that pretty much everybody yeah. has to be on uh, I think the better way to ask, ask them to that question would be name an industry you think is safe. Right. Yeah. Right? Because a few years ago, you would have said things like, well, they only generate power. What could anybody ever want from them? Yeah. And now all of a sudden, everybody's talking about that. Yeah. Right? You, you get into um, companies that, oh, I make locomotives. Yeah, there's petabytes of data created on that locomotive. And... You have to protect it. You have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, so I think even more so, um, you could almost make the argument when it was all about intellectual property theft several years ago. Maybe right. there were industries that just didn't you know, retail, maybe didn't have a lot of interesting IP. Um, it, it's definitely different now. That it's somewhat more indiscriminate. And to your earlier point, the destructiveness of it just changes the calculus for every industry. It's, it also, uh, I don't know if I would use indiscriminate. I'd say that, that there are motivations that we, you may not predict ahead of time. So, yeah. like, for instance... Um, it's easy to think of somebody coming into like a Boeing or a you know uh, um, Rolls Royce and going to steal how to make jet turbines. Yeah, it's something else if you say I'm already a company making jet turbines. Now I just want to hurt Boeing. That's true, but I think also the the difference with something with a destructive attack when I say indiscriminate, it's almost like that collateral damage. Like we saw pharmaceutical companies, yes, and transportation companies taken completely offline uh, in, in some of the attacks from several months ago and. You know, maybe those who weren't the intended targets, but they got in the way. Yeah, and there have been several things that have gotten out, like the the Petya not Petya stuff, yeah. where they the, the the many of the rumblings I've heard about it were that it wasn't actually meant to go worldwide right. the way it did. Yeah. Right? We sort of oops, our biological containment failed. Yeah, and now everybody's sick. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so that's the uh, that's the threat side of it. What should organizations do um, to try to stay ahead of this? So that's where it gets really interesting. The answer has always been, like, get the job done for real. There's the sort of the hygiene, the ops, that yeah. kind of stuff. But you figure you back up like five, ten years ago, people kind of started understanding, like, you know, attacks happen. You know, incidents happen. You're going to do that one. Well, some groups, like some, literally some corporate groups, just sort of gave up. And they're like, oh, well, why bother? If they're going to get in, never. Like, yeah. no. The answer is the other direction, right? If you're an Olympic-class sprinter and you go, well, somebody's going to be faster than me, you don't just stop sprinting. Yeah. You get really bet- really good at getting faster at running, right? Um, the definitions of that are where it gets fascinating. So, like, um, internally to my group, we end up with this kind of maniacal focus on what are the things we should put zero security time on? Truly zero. Literally abandon the job. So, like, for instance... I don't have any conversations with my server group telling them what they should patch this month. That would be a waste of security time. Yeah. They know what they have to patch. They have their job. They have to get their job done like grown-ups. 
it would literally lower my head count if I was putting any time on that. Yeah. The classic security group spends a lot of time staring at, right? Yeah. So in kind of modern DevOps term where you really are trying to lean to that security as code kind of a model, mm-hmm. um, I got an incremental head count this year. I put it into a Python guy. I have yeah. somebody that does absolutely nothing but automation. Yeah. Okay. He had never worked security before in his life, and the guy's already paid for himself multiple times over. Yeah. yeah. That's what, what you're going after. Like okay. How to do the job for real, but how to fight this war, yeah. not fight two wars ago that are already lost. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. So focusing on getting, as you say, doing it for real. Um, obviously, your team's investing a lot in automation, help ease that, that talent crunch. Um, Definitely both important things. What about uh, shifting gears a little bit to regulation? And I get asked all the time about GDPR, so I'm asking all of our guests on on this podcast series as well. Um, How do you see that changing anything, and and do you expect any any other changes in the kind of security and and regulatory nexus? Yeah, so um, one of the obvious changes is that everybody seems to have their own regulation. I mean, they've got them now, not, not just per country or per region, they've got them per state. There's even per industry inside individual states, right? You know, New York State Insurance has their own stuff. You get a, a request, did we comply with the, the criminal justice standard? You know, yeah, right. You couldn't possibly ever hire enough auditors to line up with the whole thing. But that also gets right back down into how do you do your job, right? So in our case, it's how do you come up with one common control setup, have that audited, and say, here's how they map to all these different things. Go. Right? Yeah. I need to do... 30 different audits. I need to do one solid audit that answers all those questions. GDPR is interesting because it does change a lot of the rules. Um, And I've I've heard everyone from people saying that this is overdue and thank God somebody's doing it to it's just the next Y2K, it's going to go away. Um, I think that it it does have the capability or the potential at least of becoming like a Sarbanes-Oxley. A lot of work with having to change the way you're doing stuff. Although I think the the industry has sort of figured out how to do how to not freak out the way we yeah. do with Sarbanes Oxley, yeah, right? So. Yeah. Um, so you go through and you do all the all the you know the, the assessments and your privacy impact analysis that kind of stuff. I think it's really going to get down to how people become compliant with GDPR. Like, do you just sort of have one figurehead data protection officer that covers everything, or do you have one per BU or per product silo in order to really do it for real, right? right? right. Um, some of the stuff hasn't been tested in court yet. Like, how far does the right to deletion go? Uh, right. Like, not just, you know, your customer can tell you to delete it, but anybody you ever hired, like, you know, your anti-spam provider, do you have to tell them to go try to find? Right? Yeah. These are things that we're grappling with now as a product. Totally. Company. Yeah. And we'll figure it out as they come up. I'm, um, the nice thing is I actually do believe in sort of the reasonable man clause. Yeah. Right? Like, what's a reasonable, commercially viable way to get through it? So I actually don't think it'll be a horrible setup. Um, so far, we've only found one product line that had one minor change in the way we did a wording on our, our oh, retention policy. So, cool. um, but you know, that's the better you do the job up front, the easier all the rest of the stuff is. Right? Absolutely. Why don't we uh, end with talking a little bit about innovation? What do you what do you see on the horizon? What's going to be interesting next year, and and how how does our industry change yet again in twenty eighteen? So that's one of the best things about working here. Yeah. Uh, I am surrounded by brilliant people. Yeah. And almost every one of them has an opinion as to how I should be doing my job. That's <laughs> why I said it was one of the toughest jobs in the world. There's uh, no shortage of people who can tell you how to do it better. Right. right. The security industry, though, um, 
nobody's ever figured out the magic bullet for anything, right? We all just sort of get into how can I do things better? So a lot of the innovation, it's kind of like um, pharmaceutical industry. A lot of small companies that come up and they innovate something and then they get bought up by other people. So there might be some company that right now has the world's best way to find out, find the spear phishing attack that's happening this month. Well, nine months from now, the spear phishing will be done a little differently, and that will be now a feature in somebody else's product. Right. right? It's that cycle we always yeah. see in the industry. Yeah. Um, so like being able to have the, capa- the capabilities across, uh, across things is important. There's a, a chunk of them that the buzzword bingo gets a little thick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got machine learning, this and AI. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, we've been doing this stuff for years, but we don't like put it out there like, oh, my God, look what I'm doing. And it gets kind of funny from the inside where you look at somebody who's talking about their machine learning algorithms and their only inputs are what they could find from virus total. Yeah, yeah. And you go, okay, you're really good at finding what McAfee told virus total. Like that, that's like putting a, a, a Ferrari engine in your Toyota Camry. Yeah. Just, unless you've got like, like on ours, we've got uh, the FOD engine has something like 10 billion evil URLs. Yeah. That's just a collection footprint that changes the game in different ways. And that's just URLs, right? Um, we're not talking just IPs and hashes, right? Our right. world's a little different. So, um, the last part of the innovations, um, this is so boring. Um, <laughs> the, it's a great one to end with. Like, yeah. Like the idea of how do you innovate on how your staff performs? Okay. So we all do monitoring. We all look at security technologies, but how do you do the hunting task to literally get down to the point where you can say, I'm safe from this thing. So I'll give you an example. One of the APT 29 things that they did. Uh, once they got in through phishing mails, right? Yeah. Um, so little mini cats, boom, you have standard user. They start doing things like registering new duo tokens. Mm-hmm. Or uh, the ugly one was a new delegation inside Office 365. Like, yeah. How would you know if your CEO looks like they had a new secretary and could read his yeah, email? Yeah. Well, in our world, we'd know. I have an active hunt off of this, and we look at these things very yeah, regularly. And I actually have six or seven around duo yeah. because... That has held for us repeatedly. And I need my duo to be trustworthy. Mm. So it's not just a matter of does the technology work? Of course it works, right? I need to make sure that the process and the people around it also work. We actually make an interesting point there, too, just um, philosophically. We should always pay attention to the weak points, but uh, you make a good point. We should almost focus even more on the strong point, those pieces that we're relying on. The security infrastructure. Yeah. yeah, and we do a bunch of those because it's it's like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna say that I need my duo to function and I need it to be nice and reliable, I have to be able to be really clear yeah. that it's actually reliable, not just oops, I didn't know somebody yeah. registered three duo tokens in five minutes. Yeah, right, right. right? That's a great point. I think that it's at all important point. It's interesting. Uh, we we talk to so many organizations about hunting; they're all trying to do it better. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, Steve, thanks very much. Really enjoyed talking with you. A lot of good insight on, on where we're headed in 2018. Cool. Appreciate Fun. it. Thanks, Steve.